so appreciative to Sam, Ruth, Josh and Isabel for the, for the way in which they've been part of our church family, the way in which they've loved us, the way in which they've served us, the way in which they uh, have, have, have kind of just been so generous with their lives. And actually it's in that spirit of generosity that they uh, have moved. It's in that spirit of generosity that we want to, as a church, release them into this next uh, stage of ministry. And um, we haven't got time to tell that story right now in this service, but we will be doing that at the start of our 11 o'clock service today. So I want to encourage you to, to stay around for, for, for a couple of things going on. One is that there's going to be lots of cakes straight after this service as we share coffee together. So, I mean, stay around for that if nothing else. Uh, but then at 11 o'clock, we're going to be taking a chance to celebrate together, but also to be praying for the family and to be honouring God's call upon uh, their lives and to be just, yeah, just letting ourselves be, be challenged by that, but thanking them for all uh, that they have contributed here as part of this church family as they move into an extended family kind of thing. So there's going to be also a few kind of old photos, so that's also worth staying around for as well. So sorry about that. Um, and let me pray for you. So, uh, Lord, thank you so much for Sam. Thank you for your call upon his life. I want to thank you for the way in which this has been, Lord, a, pr- a place of fruitfulness. Uh, I want to thank you for the way in which that Sam has blessed us so much um, uh, with a blessing that comes from you. And Lord, we, we look to you again this morning and say, Lord, as we open your word together, as we listen to what you have to say, I pray, Lord, that you would use Sam's words to impact our lives. We want to listen to you. We want to be transformed by you in every way. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Ed. I'm looking forward to those photos, I think. Uh, it's lovely to be with you this morning. And, um, you know, I wore a shirt and everything this morning. So, you know, there you go. Um, we this morning are going to be thinking about some of those key events in Jesus's life in the lead up to, uh, to Easter and particularly this morning reflecting on a scene of real high drama um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, um, and I don't know if you've read this, this passage before, but if you like me um, have, then I, I we'll read it today. And it's, I think it's quite, quite a moving one, actually. Um, you know, Jesus and the disciples have just celebrated the Last Supper together. And, and it seems that Jesus is, is well aware of what is ahead of him. And so he goes with some of his closest friends to this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and knowing that he'll soon be betrayed and handed over to the Romans to suffer a painful death. And his friends seemingly can kind of barely stay awake um, let alone be with him, in, as he's in great anguish and great need before God. And he asks the father if there's any way um, in which he can find a way out of, of the situation that's coming. Um, and he, he, he offers these, these words in verse 42, We're about to read the whole passage, but he says this, but yet not what my will, but yours be done. Jesus' cry of kind of anguish in the garden is almost visceral. You can almost feel it um, in this passage. So we're going to read it together um, now as we start. And so the title this morning is Not My Will, But Yours. It says this um, in Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you'll not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed. Said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, 
He prayed all the more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to his disciples and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. And he said, why why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Oh, a bit of a headline for that. Show you that in a minute. So, sorry, sorry if that caused you to stumble in any way, uh, but we, we shall get there in the moment. That was, that was a bit of a reveal, that was, wasn't it? You shall see, you shall see. So, I don't know whether you are ever caught between two conflicting desires in your life. See where this is going. It's not uncommon for people in our culture to, um, to say things like this, you know, be true to yourself. You might have found yourself saying that uh, sometime as well. Be true to yourself. Be the authentic you. Follow your heart. You know, we kind of hear those kind of things quite a lot, don't we? You know, I often kind of ask myself in those situations, which true self you know, um, which self do I be true to? Which self is the authentic me? Because I've got lots of me's. And I don't mean to kind of like, you know, get all kind of psychological about this, but there are lots of me's. There's lots of different desires in my heart. And you don't have to look very far to see that kind of struggle because it's in each of us. Um, you know, during lockdown, I turned 40. And uh, it was, um, I know, I know. (laughs) Unfortunately, my family didn't feel the same way about it. And they found it hilarious that I turned 40. And particularly my darling daughter. And uh, and so for my birthday, she bought me lots of um, tablets called Wellman. If you've seen these advertised on the back of buses and stuff like that, to kind of, I've actually used them. But anyway, uh, you know, lots of kind of tablets and things. And she also bought me a magazine you're about to see you see so on pride of place in our new living room in our house in Porter's Head now you see we've got a kind of rack of magazines and um and so this is is one of those magazines that Izzy decided was an appropriate present for me (laughs) now generous assumptions are always important with children aren't they so I I sort of thought well what must have happened was Izzy was looking across the magazine rack in Sainsbury's or wherever it was, and and she saw a magazine with my doppelganger (laughs) on it. Generous assumptions, I think that's what's going on. And so if you come to our house, you can can have a perusal, if you like, at at this magazine. It's full of all sorts of really useful articles, as you can see on there, kind of burn and build. Um, 18 ways to overhaul your life starting today. Now, I've got to admit, there is something in me that desires that. Um, You know, maybe I've actually achieved it. I'll leave that for your (laughs) job. There's something in me that reads this magazine. It actually is quite interesting. You read about all sorts of other people's ab routines and, you know, all sorts of uh, sit-up routines that they're doing and all that kind of thing. The problem is, you see, in my living room, there's um, other magazines too. And there's magazines like this one. (laughs) Now... You see, this morning, um, I, I, I persuaded Ruth that we should have American pancakes um, as, as important preaching preparation for this morning. And, and so we did. And so you see, not only can I read about other people's ab routines and stuff, but I can also read about 
American pancakes and strawberry cheesecakes and seven-layer chocolate cakes and all sorts of things, you see. So what do I do? Which is the real me? Where's my real desires? Is it, is it for the ab routine or is it for the American pancakes? There is a conflict of desires in my own heart. I do want both of those things. Genuinely, I do. The problem is that they're conflicting as desires. I really can't have both. But I discovered a way. I discovered a way, you see, because what I do is I make myself some American pancakes and I eat them. And whilst I eat them, I can read about other people's ab routines. And so I can have both at the same time, you see. It's obvious, isn't it? Very clear. Those desires are mutually exclusive. They're both authentic desires. They're both true desires. Now, you might think it's a silly example, and I guess it kind of is. But I don't know if you can relate. You know, I think there is something, it's almost like a symptomatic thing of something much deeper that goes on in our hearts. See, the human heart is beautiful and it's mysterious, but it's also often the location of a battlefield of competing and sometimes contradictory desires. Our human hearts are a complex place and sometimes a contradictory place. Um, One person um, who um, is on the screen there, David Bennett, he wrote a great book actually called A War of Loves on an entirely different topic. But that title, I think, um, covers it. It's a war of loves in our hearts. A war of loves. John Mark Comer, um, some of you may have read a couple of his books, and this one of his, his latest one is called Live No Lies, and uh, he, he actually gives a very similar illustration about magazines. And uh, he, uh, he says this, I'm just going to read it. He says, I want to love my children well and to raise them to love Jesus and reach their full potential. But I also want to close the door of my room after a long day at work, watch TV and let them sort out their own annoying problems. I don't know what he's talking about, do you? (laughs) He says this, I want to be a generous man, free from the cancer of greed for new things. I want to be content with what I have. But I've also got a bunch of new stuff that I want, and I want to go out on the weekend and buy them. Yeah? He says this, I want to be someone who experiences intimacy with God in prayer. I want to be someone in whom the kingdom of God comes and I pray earnestly to God and experience that intimacy with him in prayer. But I also want to stay up late watching Netflix. I don't know whether you can relate to that. I I certainly can. My heart is a, a mixed bag of desires and it's not helped by some of those constant cultural messages that we receive. Be true to yourself, you know, follow your heart, etc. As if our Authentic selves, if you like, are an important roadmap to where we need to go in life. And here, I think, in our passage this morning, Jesus lays out a very different way of living. And actually, I think what he recognises there is something that is true for all of us. That actually our surface desires in our lives, the surface desires, can sabotage our deepest desires. Our surface desires can sabotage our deepest desires. You see here, Jesus, it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is uh, intent. He recognizes his own desire for safety. 
He recognizes he doesn't want to go to the cross. He doesn't want it in the sense that he's, he's looking for a way out. And it's interesting that that is not a sinful desire. That's not something wrong for Jesus to, to want. It's not wrong for us to want to avoid pain and suffering. That's not sinful. And yet also somehow in the midst of this, Jesus seems to find a way of ordering his desires correctly. It's what some people call disordered desires or uh, disordered lives that actually uh, often what the problem is, is not so much uh, sinful desires, although they are a thing and they exist, but that good, right and proper desires are wrongly ordered in our life. And Jesus here chooses to look inside himself and he's honest about his desires but he also chooses to put his deepest desires at the top. He says, not my will be done, but yours be done. And so how does Jesus deal with this inner conflict? Well, there's, there's your answer, but let's look in a bit more detail at that. So as we think about Easter, what can we learn here from Jesus's prayer? Firstly, what we see is that Jesus prioritised time with his father. It says in verse 39 that he went as usual to the Mount of Olives. In other words, this is somewhere he went quite a lot. Um, I think some versions of the Bible say, as was his custom, he went to the Mount of Olives. This passage makes it very clear that the Mount of Olives was a place Jesus would go regularly to pray, regularly to be with his father. It also makes very clear here that Jesus felt all alone with his father, even though he's taken his friends with him to pray with him. It emphasizes here that Jesus feels all alone because three times Jesus goes back to his disciples and asks them to pray with him. He didn't need in this moment to be lonely. But Jesus's friends here are asleep when Jesus seems to need them most. I don't know about you, but I look at this passage and Jesus seems really vulnerable, doesn't he? Really vulnerable. He's asking for help from his friends. He's asking them to pray with him. And yet no help is coming. Simon Ponsonby um, used to be based in Nailsy, actually, as a vicar, but he's done, I think he's Oxford, isn't he? And uh, he says this. He says, the much-loved American archbishop, Catholic archbishop of a different generation called Fulton Sheen uh, said this, not for an hour of activity did Jesus plead. Not for an hour of activity did Jesus plead, but for an hour of companionship. Here, Jesus asks his friends to spend an hour with him in prayer. But it's not for an hour of their busyness, It's not for an hour of their activity with him. It's just to be with his friends, with them in prayer to God. Jesus wants to be with his angels. It says he could have called down 12 legions of angels to be with him. That's kind of 40 to 60,000 angels. But that's not what he wanted. He didn't want the presence of angels with him. He wanted the attentiveness and the intimacy of his disciples. I think that's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? And without the attentiveness of his friends, Jesus here, though, finds intimacy with his father. 
Jesus here spends time in prayer with his father in his hour of greatest need. You know, it's sometimes said that character is who we are when no one's looking. And, and as I reflect on this passage, it seems clear to me that um, Jesus lived with a continual awareness and closeness to his father. You know, the author John Ortberg put it this way. He says, the goal of prayer is to live all my life and speak all my words in the joyful awareness of the presence of God. Isn't that wonderful? Joyful awareness of the presence of God. Prayer becomes real when we grasp the reality and goodness of God's constant presence with the real me. And Jesus lived his everyday life in conscious awareness of his father. I think that's really, really helpful. And here I think we see that Jesus is in great anguish and yet he is spending his time prostrate before his father. And in that place, he's able to get that perspective that's able to recognise his own desires, but to order them correctly. In other words, to put God's will for his life at the top. And so if Jesus needed to step away and be with his father, you know, who are we to think that we can get away with not doing the same? You know, secondly, um, we see here, oh, hello, sorry. Uh, we see here, Jesus submitted himself to his father. Jesus speaks honestly about his own feelings and his desires, and he submits himself to his father. Again, American pastor, a guy called Grant Patrick, put it like this Your trust in God is measured at the intersection of your wants and his. At the intersection of your wants and his. That is, if you like, a litmus test of us and Jesus. You know, faced with a horrible death and with the bearing of the sin of all humankind on his shoulders, Jesus looked at what was in front of him and he said, verse 42, not my will be done, but yours. And the question here is how we can do that ourselves. And I think the answer doesn't lie in um, willpower. You know, willpower in our lives will get us so far. It sometimes will help me to resist that second biscuit. Not always, but sometimes it helps me to resist that second biscuit, you know. And in our lives, willpower can get us that far sometimes. But, but actually, when it comes to those deep matters of our hearts, when it comes to those controlling areas of our lives, those addictions, actually what we see is willpower doesn't help. And I think Jesus recognises that, that willpower will only get us so far. Because um, what we see here um, is that it's the Spirit's power, not willpower, that makes the difference. The Spirit's power, not willpower, that makes all the difference. And so Jesus here submits himself to his father. I don't know if you would, um, you would be someone who would describe themselves um, as a follower of Jesus. Um, and if you aren't, I, I just would ask you this question. How do you respond to the idea of putting someone else's will before 
your own? How do you respond to the idea of putting someone else's will before your own? And if you are a follower of Jesus, here's a challenge for you. When was the last time you said to God, I don't want to, but because you asked, I will. I don't want to, but because you asked, I will. You know, there's a bit of a health warning that goes with that. Um, Because many of us, um, when we hear those kind of questions, immediately rush to uh, beating ourselves up and think, I'm not good enough. I'm not not doing all the right things. Um, And uh, and that can be a really destructive thing. And so I want you to, um, particularly if if you have that kind of personality, to pay attention to the last bit here, because this is really important. Because the third point here is that Jesus' obedience undoes all the times that we have turned our back on God. Jesus' obedience undoes all the times that we have turned our back on God. You see, this is really a tale of two gardens, this Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember the first garden that's mentioned in the Bible, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve chose their way rather than God's way didn't they? If you remember the story, you know, Eve sees that lovely fruit on the tree and she chooses to take for herself that fruit that God had asked her not to. She chooses her own way rather than God's. If you like, the anthem in the Garden of Eden was not your way but mine be done. And the consequences of that decision that fracturing and that separation of relationship with God go through the centuries. We all choose our own way rather than God's. But with the echoes of that Garden of Eden in the background, we see in our passage today Jesus in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And faced with that same temptation to go his own way, to put his own desire for personal safety at the top of his order of desires, he makes a different choice. And he says, not my way but yours, God. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane, um, Gethsemane literally means oil press. Oil press. It's where the crushing of olives would happen to create the olive oil. And in Isaiah 53, in verse 5, it says this, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds... We are healed. You see, Adam and Eve hid behind a tree, naked and feeling shame when they chose their own way. Jesus hung on a tree, naked, and yet conquered that same shame. And what that means for each of us is that we can come before God and we can ask him for his spirit's power not for more willpower to do things right and do things our own way but ask for God's spirit's power to be at work in our hearts and our lives that we might choose to put our desires in the correct order and have God's power at work to help us to do that so that for each of us when we're faced with that question you know uh, 
I don't want to. I don't want to do it, God. We're also able to say, but because you asked me to, I will. Jesus' obedience undoes all the times you've turned your back on God. It means a fresh start. The kingdom of God doesn't rid us of our desires, but it does order them correctly. It does enable us to put God's will and his heart at the centre of our lives. Let's pray. Why don't we stand and... uh, Yeah, Father, we, um, we thank you for that Garden of Gethsemane moment in the lead up to the cross and your resurrection, Lord, that you, um, you said, not my will be done, but yours. And we thank you, Lord, that that prayer has power. It has power for us, Lord, that we might live rightly before you now because of your choice. Your obedience becomes our obedience. For what you've done for us, Lord, it means that we can live in the freedom, the freedom to put you first and have the power of God at work in our lives to enable us to follow through with that choice. And so, Lord, I pray for your spirit to be at work amongst each of us here, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would be at work in our hearts and in our desires that we might put you first. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.